Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national editor for the Washington Post. Coming today with a fun podcast with Dan Pfeiffer from Crooked Media, Pod Save America, CNN analyst. Uh, and for the purposes of this discussion, a big Sixers fan and a big Georgetown Hoyas fan. Um, talked to him a lot about his life as a Sixer fan growing up with Dr. J, with Charles Barkley, Allen Iverson, who was in the same class at Georgetown with. Um, what it's been like with the, the process the last few years, what it was like this past season, what he'd like to see him do this summer. Uh, got in some talk about Georgetown, some talk about uh, his time with President Obama in the White House, and you know how basketball was a big part of the way that entire White House community kind of coexisted and you know kept things normal. Uh, it was a fun podcast, touched on a whole bunch of stuff. I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, but with that, let me get out of the way and let's get to my conversation with Dan. All right, joining me on the podcast, Dan Pfeiffer, uh, CNN analyst, uh, more importantly, host of uh, Pod Save America's, uh, one of Pod Save America's many podcasts as part of the Crooked Media Empire, uh, which I've listened to since its inception. So uh, thanks for the entertainment, Dan. And more importantly, thanks for stopping by to talk about some uh, some different stuff for a change. I appreciate it. Of course. Always happy to talk hoops. So I, I knew you were a, a Sixers fan, uh, both from your bio on Twitter and from occasional comments that would... Uh, filter into the NBA Twitter sphere about it. Yeah. So um, it, are you, are you a Philly guy in, in, in general? And just what is kind of your, uh, your background with, with the NBA in particular? So I am, I'm from Delaware, which is. That so means you're up. a Philly guy. <laughs> yeah. I grew up, you know, 20 minutes from the spectrum when the Sixers played there. Uh, I am a Philly sports fan with one exception. I'm actually a Washington football fan because my dad is from Virginia and he gave us what during the eighties and, and early nineties was a blessing. And since then it's been a curse. And so, <laughs> but I root, but I root for the Sixers, uh, NBA first, always been a huge, uh, basketball fan. I was a Georgetown season ticket holder, which is where I went to school when I lived in DC, right. uh, for years. And so I'm a league pass guy. Uh, I will start, I will start watching uh, summer league when it comes on in a little bit. So, uh, I, I'm a basketball obsessive human being. I was going to say that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty extensive, uh, a pretty extensive deep dive into NBA. So when you're obviously, you know, everybody who is listening to this has an idea of what your day job is. I mean, do you have time yeah. to, uh, do you have time to consume like a variety of sports or is there, are you, it, it sounds, I mean, from that amount, it sounds like you pretty, a lot of your sports time sounds like it's fairly heavily invested in basketball stuff. Yeah, it's mostly basketball. I watch football in the fall, um, you know, when baseball is in the World Series or whatever. If the Phillies were doing really well, I would, I would watch the playoffs in the World Series. Uh, I you know, and I, and, you know, like the World Cup is on and I have a newborn at home. So right. I'm really up when the World Cup comes on at 5 a.m. Right. On the, on the West Coast time. So I've, I've caught some games while uh, trying to rock my daughter back to sleep. Yeah, no, that uh, being out here, that is that is the one nice thing, both uh, both with the World Cup being on basically all morning and just yeah. games games starting at four. I've learned in the last couple of years that I've lived out here, that is a uh, that's a real game changer yeah. uh, from for being able to consume the NBA standpoint. Yeah, being able to watch uh, to be done with, especially when I was watching the Sixers on League Pass, that the game would be over by seven. You know, seven <laughs> right. the time it was was. 
was really nice, especially I was working from home. So I wasn't that productive one during the NBA season because <laughs> before I was I was turning on the games at three thirty, four o'clock when they started. Well, and this year there was finally something to watch. So I mean, yeah, you finally you uh now I saw I mean your your bio I believe says uh a process I don't remember exactly what it is process truth yeah process truster yeah truster yes, yes. okay yes. I should have I should have remembered that so okay. uh have you have you been with or were you kind of with the plan uh you know, Sam Hickey's plan all along, was it, were you, were you with it? Like when you started to see it bear fruit, like where do you fall in kind of the, uh, you know, the various, uh, you know, divisions of the acolytes of the, uh, the, the process empire at these, at this point. I, I was with it from the beginning. I, I had a real, the one time that I really lost faith was the, when they picked Jaleel Okafor, uh, after picking Embiid and Noel, the previous years. Right. And, and I was very upset about that. I actually fired off a tweet from my uh, White House account at the time about uh, why that was terrible. And uh, who did you and, want at the time? Did you want Did you want Porzingis? Did you want somebody else? Did you yeah, just nothing, not want nothing a center? good? What I was like, every I was wrong about everything. My hope, I was really hoping that the Lakers would pass on D'Angelo Russell. The Sixers ah, would right. get him, and then I did not. I, I would love to say I was very in Porzingis, but I wasn't. I probably, if I had had that pick, I would have taken Boudier, which also would have been a disaster. So <laughs> the only thing I've ever gotten right in the NBA draft was I watched Georgetown play Kansas, the Wiggins in year, and I tweeted also from my official White House account that <laughs> that Joel Embiid should be the first pick of the draft, and. Uh, and I, and I think he probably probably would have been at the time. That was controversial because it was Wiggins or Parker, Wiggins right, or Parker. Right. But you know, but it had I you know as I now understand it, if Embiid had not gotten hurt, he probably would have ended up being the first pick of the draft. That would right. have been the right choice. But right. I feel like I feel like I was in on Joel Embiid very early. I I would say so, and I would say yeah. that uh, I would say that worked out just fine in the end. Yeah. Um. So yeah. so after all of the misery and all of the infighting like did you participate in the the like arguments back and forth about the merits of the process then or have you been with, were you busy enough that you didn't really have time to get involved in that i would do it with my basketball fan friends but not right. so much on i was not like well that's, and that's what fighting. i meant like i, yeah. I knew you were you you're you're deep fighting on twitter on a variety of other subjects yeah. so yeah <laughs> I, right. I meant like is was that like a debate were you like was it as much of a debate within your um like within your circles as it was everywhere else? Or was everybody you were with kind of on the same page? No, it was a debate. It was mostly just like good natured ribbing between myself as a Sixers fan and my fan and my friends who are Knicks fans or Lakers fans or Wizards fans or Warriors right. fans. Right? right. So it's basically, they're just like, they're talking smack about my team and I'm defending it. And it's, <laughs> and you gotta have, it's like when your team's winning like eight games. You really, you, you really have to have, have something. To dig- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's something. And so that's why this year was such a uh, a wonderful comeuppance uh, for everyone who was on my case about it. Well, that was what I was going to say. Like, as a as a guy who has followed this team for a long time, you know, what like what what's the first? Because um, you're you're like late thirties, right? Early forties, forty two. Okay, yeah. so so like you're so you you have memories then of like do you like do you remember the eighty three title then you would right i do i do i was like eight then so i remember that i went so that's got to be kind of the beginning like that those early 80s teams are like where your fandom starts right yeah the, like six or fandom so yeah right away my dad took me in like 82 i think to uh game at the spectrum i actually played the golden state warriors uh which i remember very well and so like remember those fans so you dr j and moses and then the Barkley teams and then the Barkley Mahorn thump and bump teams. And sure. then 
And then I was in the same class at Georgetown as Iverson. So then the Iverson era was like everything I ever could have hoped for. Uh, oh, that had to fan. be that had to be amazing. So you must have lost your mind when they won the lottery. Yeah, yeah. When they won the lottery, they got him. And then obviously 2001 was just the year they went to the finals and lost the Lakers. It was just like every every day of that season was amazing. And you know, Iverson winning the MVP. That, that team was just so great. But it's there's always it's Sixers fandom over the course of my life has always been peaks and valleys, right? Sometimes the valleys are <laughs> right. longer than others. It's right. like they have Dr. J and Moses, and they trade Moses, and then they have uh, Barkley, and then they trade Barkley, and then they pick uh, Sean Bradley over uh, Chris Webber, Penny Hardaway. I can't remember which order that went <laughs> it in. Was which Penny. Was big they picked, yeah. they picked Penny. Penny went third. Yeah. Yeah, and so like that was it. Like so that was a problem. And then you had the sort of Iguodala. Jiro holiday teams that were sort of the, what led to the process because you know we were just like you know seventh and eighth in the east every year um which were you know actually those teams were kind of fun because they were competitive but uh and then then we went to the deep valley of the process which you know if if, the, if last year was any model it's something uh we got, we got a lot to look forward to yes i i would say so and um you know what what was this what was this year like you know seeing them finally take off and and not only like Everybody kind of thought, like I thought they were probably going to miss the playoffs. And I thought yeah. that mostly because I thought Embiid was going to miss 25 yeah. games. Like yeah. I, if you'd told me he was going to play 60 or more, I would have thought they would make it. But I also yeah. wouldn't have predicted they would win 50 something games. I mean, yeah. at, at, at what point did you start to really go, hey, this has got a chance to be a special year for us? In the, uh, like at coming out of the All-Star break, they were just so good. And like Simmons had, had like, so the, when the season started, it's like they, this will be interesting to watch because you want to see Simmons, you want to see Embiid, like maybe for the first time in a while, like you really wanted to turn on the TV and watch them, right? Which that was true the year, and I would watch them anyway. But now there was something like exciting to watch, right? And Embiid was so exciting the year before in the thirty some games he played, and but it was after the All Star break when it really just started clicking, and they had been just this really fun team that was a little under the radar because. They were young and they were beating good teams yep. or being really competitive with good teams and then losing like any young team like to Brooklyn in Brooklyn on a Friday night or something. But, you know, they split with the Rockets. They slept the Spurs. They were competitive with the Warriors both times. They played uh, the only team that they, which came on back to Hunters, the only team that they did not good team they did not play well against was the Celtics. Which was the Celtics, should right. A, should have been a warning heading into that uh, <laughs> playoff series. Yes. I. Uh, now, with all with all that's happened now, um, what it, what is your kind of thought process now? Thought process now uh, going into this summer when you know there have been you know, there's been months of uh, discussion about you know various guys you know obviously the, the leading the way being LeBron and Paul George that yeah. uh, that they might now be in the mix for now that we're I guess what two or three days away from free agency at this point. I I have tempered expectations. I think. They, I, I would like if they got LeBron, that would be amazing. If they got Paul George, that would be amazing. If they got Kawhi Leonard in a trade, that would be amazing. I'm skeptical that those things will happen just because it seems like Paul George and LeBron really want to go to LA. And, uh, or maybe they could get Paul George if the Lakers actually pull off this Kawhi trade because I don't think they can do Kawhi, LeBron, and uh, George. That seems hard, but like just the fact that we are a like this is also. To me, like it's interesting we might get these people, but it adds off tremendous young talent with cap room and assets to be able to be a player in this instead of and do, doing being smart and not signing, you know, like doing something smart like signing JJ Redick 
to a one-year deal for $20 million instead of signing some of the, you know, like a Moskov type situation, the Lakers or, right. uh, you know, any of these other teams who are burdened with these huge long-term contracts with mediocre players. And in the, like, even in the post, in the Colangelo post-Hinky era, they remain pretty disciplined in how they spent their money on people who were not the main pieces. And so they have flex. They are, they are a modern NBA team with uh, sort of an advanced view of, like the value of assets and cap space. And I think I just feel very good about that. And maybe they get these guys, maybe they don't, but they will be a good team. Even like they have the opportunity to be a very good team without them in the coming years. And we don't have to win right now. Right. And the yeah, 2019 I mean, free yeah. agent class is amazing. And right. Like, so what I hope they don't do is pay, not get like, we'll be terrible, which I don't think they'll do. And the way they handled the draft suggested this, right. which is like the worst thing to do is like, Oh my God, we have to get LeBron. We have to get Kawhi. We have to get Paul George. Oh, we got none of them. Let's sign Will Barton to a five-year, $80 million contract. You know what (laughs) I mean? So, like, I think, like, play it out. Bring Redick back. You know, maybe you can get some of these other guys on, on like, a short-term or a one-in-one deal. And then look at the 2019 free agency class where there's going to be lots of opportunities there, too. Yeah, I I actually think... Right now, it seems like Paul George is going to stay in Oklahoma City. If I had to guess, I would say LeBron is probably going to stay in Cleveland, though mm-hmm. that that's much more up in the air. Yeah. And I actually think the Sixers are the most likely team to end up with Kawhi uh, if he does get traded. I don't really think that, despite all the talk this week, I may have looked very dumb soon, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't see the Spurs trading Kawhi to the Lakers and paving the way for LeBron to join him there. It just doesn't yeah. seem... Given Greg Popovich ten years ago wanted like an, an FBI investigation into the Paul uh, the Pau Gasol trade uh, yeah. from Memphis to L.A., I can't see them uh, handing him over, especially when the Lakers' young guys like they don't have a Ben Simmons or a Joel Embiid type young guy. Yeah. And frankly, even after last year, I think Markel Fultz and the Heat pick that in the you know you mentioned how they handled the draft and that the trade they made for Mikael Bridges, you know Zaire Smith and uh, you know that Heat pick, both are. I think potential pieces to throw into a Kawhi trade um, yeah. and you have faults like that, that, that to me is a better, uh, that to me is a better combination of what LA could put together. And I think that if the Sixers, if the Spurs have their choice, they're going to trade them out of the East anyway. But to your, yeah. to your overall point about the Sixers, um, I don't think they're going to rush into anything. You, when you do see the coach take over at least temporarily um, like Brett Brown is, you kind of wonder, yeah. is he going to make short-term moves? The fact that they traded Mikhail Bridges away for, assets that they really couldn't pass up, you know, in particular that pick, um, it does kind of signal that. And I do think, uh, you mentioned JJ Redick. I do think that if they strike out on those top three guys, JJ's almost certainly going to come back on another balloon one-year deal and they'll yeah. fill in with a Wayne Ellington or somebody else. And yeah. they'll probably, you know, be in pretty good shape at that point. Yeah. So I, you know, I feel very good about where we are, you know, obviously health being the thing, right. Is and be going to stay healthy. He looked healthy. I mean, the the eye injury was a freak injury that was unrelated to his other problems, obviously. Right. But, I mean, he played, like, once he was off his minute restrictions, he played hard and good and was in shape. And, you know, it was really, the whole thing was, the whole thing was really impressive and fun. And it was, it was such a gift because my expect like my, like, I remember, I think the Vegas, I don't bet basketball or any sport. It was around I, I think, 40. Yeah, it was, I think it was like 42, right? There would be 500, I think. Yeah. And, and I thought like that, that seemed like 
best, close to best case scenario, right? That they would start off rough, maybe end the season well, be a seven or eight in the East. And, uh, you know, and this, and we got to have that run at the end and the Miami series was amazing. Boston was painful, but (laughs) even if you had said to me in the beginning of the year that it'd be able to play 60, Simmons would be a rookie of the year. Uh, the Sixers would be a three seed and they would lose in the second round of the playoffs, I would have said, give me that right now. Right? Yeah, exactly. No, no question about it. Now, did you, um, you obviously work pretty closely with some Boston people. Uh, I don't know if they are Celtics fans. Was that made any more painful by that or no? Well, it, yeah, I mean, they're, Yes, it made it more painful. It did make it more painful. And the worst part is, I'm not even an Eagles fan. Like, if I was an Eagles fan, I could respond. Oh, I didn't think about that. That's right. Yeah, so it's worse. So I, I'm just like a full loser in the whole in the whole thing. So, yeah, there was, uh, it, it was unfortunate. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I kind of wondered about that. I went, like going into that playoff series. I. You know, I remember I watched every game the Sixers played against the Celtics, and they were terrible on every one of them, except the one they won was the one that Kawhi did not play in. And yes. uh, and I remember that London game where they got way up, and that it's basically just a repeat of what happened in the series. Yes. And I remember thinking, but every commentator who I uh, trust and believe in was like, the Sixers just had too much talent, so we got too much talent. And I just remember seeing some stat that Simmons had the worst, I can't remember what the stat, but his worst on-court performance or points per possession or whatever was when Horford was on the floor. And I was like, huh, that seems problematic. And then after, like midway through the first game, I was like, oh, I remember why they look so bad. That uh, They were actually, the Celtics were actually the perfect team to play the Sixers, even without uh, Kawhi. It made me, without Kyrie. It would have been different if, uh, they would have different if Jalen Brown hadn't recovered midway through, but uh, they were just the, like a team that switches like that is the perfect team to play against a six ten point guard. Absolutely, and one who doesn't shoot. And and yeah. and at the and at the end of the day, like they still, you know, the four of those games were toss up games. Yeah, they should have. They, they should have. Yeah, they should have won game two and three. Uh, right. And five. They, they had five. I. They could have won, but I don't think they blew it. Uh, it's you're still playing a deciding game in Boston, right? And if, if right. JJ, there was one JJ Redick three that if it had gone in, I think they would have won the game. And it was yes. open. He just short armed it because he was exhausted because the Celtics beat the living crap out of him as he was trying to run around screens because <laughs> the Celtics play phenomenal defense. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash post-up newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. No, that, that was, it, was, uh, it was a wild series. But you're right, there's, there's, a lot, there's certainly a lot to look forward to as a, uh, as a Sixer fan. What was your take on the entire uh, burner account situation? I I think I'm somewhat sympathetic to Colangelo if it really was that his that his wife was sending these tweets. Um, but the problem was the 
like you had broken you they had to make the move because of the things that were said about players the fact that there was some ins, you know apparently what as i understand it inside ish information right and if you're making a big play for a free agent like lebron or paul george or even someone you know at a lower tier you can't have you like they have they, you ever you have to have all of your business buttoned down and so like i colangelo's i did not like some of colangelo's other moves the i mean the Fultz trade obviously did not work out but or i mean so like we don't know how good Fultz will be or not good but right it's pretty clear that jalen that full it'll be like it'd be a great where it's gonna be hard to see a situation where jalen jason tatum plus the first round pick seems equal to or of less value than Fultz himself right. unless Fultz turns into steph curry at some point in the near future <laughs> right. uh, which doesn't seem likely <laughs> um but you know there that that was uh you know that that was a tough trade, and I think we. I think the Mikhail Bridges Zaire Smith trade in the draft would have looked different if Colangelo was there. I think they sort of moved more to a win now move instead of a yes. build sustainable success, which is the which is the key in today's NBA. Yeah, no, I I agree, and you know I I think just kind of looking at the whole thing in a bigger picture, I think if he hadn't if he hadn't been so strident that somebody was out to get him from the beginning, maybe he could have. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe there would have been a way to kind of work it out if they'd said from the beginning, look, my wife was doing this. She was living in Toronto, like yeah. didn't know what was going on. But when it, when it started off with, this is a witch hunt to get me. And then it turned out to be his wife, you know, at that point, like yeah. you said, combined with everything else, it made it pretty much impossible to really, uh, to really stick with them and, yeah. uh, and keep them there. Yeah. And Brett did a really good job in the draft, I think across the board. So the fact that he made that trade, like that's not a trade a coach would normally sign off on. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. a pretty, that's a pretty good sign for him leaning on the room and, you know, not in the moment being like, Hey, Mikhail Bridges is exactly what we need. He's here. He's going to be able to play as a rookie and play a lot. Like, let's just go get him. Like that was a, you know, that was, that was an impressive move by him to show some restraint. Now, and- no, go ahead. Can I say one, thing, can I say one thing about Brett, which is like, th- like when people talk about the process, they talk about, they simply discussed by most people as tanking for draft picks, yes. which people have been doing for a long time. Yes. And that is different than, than this because what the Sixers did in addition to trying to get as many, as many top elite draft picks as you possibly can, but was also hire a quality people do is they kind of half tank and then people get scared about their jobs and then they stop tanking and then, you know, the magic are the perfect example of this, right? They're tanking one day, they're signing, they're trading for a Baca the next, then they're signing Bismack Biombo to the worst deal in modern history. And so they're doing all these things. And the Sixers were like, here's our coach. We're going to, you, you have a, you have a record, you have, we like you and we're going to stick with you and you can build a system and a culture. And that is so valuable. And the fact that Embiid has been in the league, you know, he's played for two, you know, a year and a half, I guess, but he's been there for four years and he's had the same coach. The fact that Covington's had the same coach the whole time, that Simmons has been in the league and had the same coach. Instead of most of these teams, they're in the lottery or changing coaches, like most people change socks. And I think, like, we, <laughs> right. we forget what an important part, like, th- there's a discipline to this that the Sixers management and leadership should get credit for. No question. And Brett Brown is, is probably the most relentlessly positive person I've ever been around. And that was the yeah. case when the Sixers are winning 10 games. And it's the case when they're winning 55 games. It yeah. is, uh, that was all, it was always, uh, remarkable to see how he would find a way to spin something positive about just, you know, absolute wretched, uh, losing streaks and rosters and, you know, trying to find, you know, some, 
sliver of hope when there just was not much. And, yep. you know, that's part of the, like you said, part of the reason this worked out is because uh, there was a guy like that who was there kind of every day kind of saying, it's going to be all right. We're going to get there. We're getting better. We're doing this. We're doing that. Um, it was just, you know, really, uh, really a different scenario than uh, I think, because a lot of people put in that place probably would not have handled that nearly as well as he did. And it would not have worked out the way it did uh, for sure. Yeah, Cause the, cause the argument a lot of people would make is it was, is player, you know, these player, these talented players who start on these bad teams get bad habits if you lose all the time. Yep. And the Sixers built a culture, which I think the, the team culture, they haven't reached this level of excellence yet, but ranks up there with the, the better NBA franchises, right? Where you, yep. like whether it's the Celtics or the Spurs or the Warriors, teams where like you sort of, everyone seems bought in on what's happening and the Sixers have had that thus far. And, you know, and be, this will be a test because now they've tasted success. And so, hopefully, you know, it's like it sometimes gets harder after that uh, when, you know, when you've had success to maintain that level of culture and team mentality. And so we'll see how that goes. No question. Now, your old boss at the White House is a rather uh, noted NBA fan. Yes. Um, that's, you know, we see every day now how insane things could be in the White House, though. When you guys were there, it was a little uh, less public, I would say, yep. and a little different in level yep. of insanity. Uh, but that being said, uh, how how much of a part of daily life at the White House when you were there was about, like, how much did basketball come into that? Like, was that a daily conversation? Uh, did, like, you know, I know he would go watch Kornheiser and Wolb on a PTI yeah. and he'd watch sports center and he'd watch games. Yeah. Like, did it, did it come up a lot in discussions when you guys were there, uh, you know, talking about either, whether it's the NBA or sports yeah. in general? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was a, it was sort of an escape for Obama, a way to wind down. And like, whether we were traveling, like on Air Force One, there, were, there was, if the NBA, it was in the NBA season, their game was always on TV, on the plane. Right. And so it's in the background while he's working or relaxing. And it was just something to talk about. And he knew I was just, you know, I was a basketball fan and a lot of other big NBA fans on his staff. And so it would just be something you'd talk about as you were sort of like waiting for an event to start or killing time in a meeting before everyone gets there. If there had been something notable in the NBA. And right. So, it, you know, it was very, uh, it was very important to him as a way of sort of maintaining uh, sort of grasp of normal life, right? Like, yes. with it, had he never run for president, he would still be watching the Bulls at night and talking about the Bulls or paying attention to, you know, whatever's happening in the NBA or whatever sure. the big performance that before was and talking about it with his friends or, you know, people around him. And so I think it was very important to him to maintain that and not get sucked into 24-7, uh, the very hard job of the presidency. Well, and the reason I, the reason I was most curious to ask about it was um, what was it like when Derrick Rose blew out his knee against the Sixers? Yeah, that was – the Bulls thing was very tough. I remember we watched the, that Bulls series uh, when they – I can't remember who they were playing when they went seven games. The Celtics in 2009. Yeah, so we Derek, – Derrick's rookie season. Yeah, so we yeah. watched all those games in the in the White House Theater. Uh, oh, like, wow. Um, all the basketball fans. And Obama, and Obama came. Some of them he couldn't come to because he had other things to do. Other time. We got <laughs> right. together. Because we had a lot of Bulls fans within those early years. People oh, of, Chicago co of course. Right. Yeah. Right. And so the Bulls thing was tough. But Obama, like most Bulls fans, I think, strictly if, if you're a Bulls fan of Obama's age, 
you feel like you're still playing with house money post Jordan, right? Yes. So it's like, yes. you know, he was around in Chicago for all of those great teams. And so he, the Derek Rose thing was tough and he, beca- he had became, he got to know Derek and uh, Joachim Noah and a lot of the players on the team through like community service stuff. And so, right. uh, you know, he cared about them, not just as players, but as leaders in his community. What I more meant because it was up against your team. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't the, know the, how much that came, especially since you went the, on to, to beat the Sixers or beat the Bulls and then nearly beat yeah. the uh, Celtics in the second round too. What the the main basketball beef Obama has with me is Georgetown related. So in 2010, <laughs> okay, he we all went to see Georgetown play Duke. Like Obama went a bunch of this everyone, a bunch of his staff members who went to either Georgetown or Duke. We went to the Georgetown Duke game at. Uh, what was then the Verizon Center and okay. downtown DC. Right. And Duke was a top five team probably. And Georgetown blew this was when Greg Monroe was on the was on the right. was Greg Monroe's right. sophomore year, I think. Right. And right. they blew the Duke, they blew Duke off the floor. Just destroyed <laughs> right. them. Right. And so Obama picked Duke, Georgetown to go I think to the final eight in his bracket there, because this is the one game he'd seen in person. It was so <laughs> impressive. And Georgetown lost in the first round to Ohio University that year. And so it completely destroyed his bracket. So he uh, he very much liked to talk. He really he held remind you of that. Time. Yes. We were the next year they lost to VCU in the tournament and right. we were on Air Force One headed to a seven day trip to South America when it happened. <laughs> and he attacked me every time. And then like flash forward, I think like two or three years when they lost the Florida, Florida Gulf Coast, Coast. Yeah. <laughs> we were in Jordan and and the game happened and Obama would get the games uh, like those big tournament games uh, like later, like they would record him for him. Oh. But he had, but now he's not the first round of games. Right. So when the game happened at two in the morning, uh, Jordan time or something like that, like I woke up to watch it. Right. And I, and I think he just saw it on his phone and I came and I came downstairs to the morning briefing. He was just like Pfeiffer <laughs> again. And he like shook his head like, and kind of <laughs> laughed, but not really. So. Just to add to the misery of being yeah. a Georgetown fan. Well, I wanted to ask yes. you about Georgetown. So, yep. uh, you know, you are a proud Hoya. Uh, now Patrick is back. Yep. Uh, interesting first year. Um, seems to have done well recruiting yep. uh, for this second year. Um, I imagine I'm going to guess just kind of from my knowledge of where you're at as a basketball fan, you were probably not thrilled about the Patrick hire in the first place. And I'm curious where you're at a year in uh, with it now. So I was not thrilled at first because I really thought they needed to break away from the the old era. And I was worried about this. But then I talked to someone who had had covered the NBA for a very long time, who uh, I had become uh, friends with, who will go nameless here. But they told me, you should, he said, Patrick is a real coach. Like, he's like, the problem with these NBA guys is they come in and they, they're just, they're sort of figureheads, but Patrick has been slaving away like yep. in, you know, he's been doing real work training to be a coach for a really long time. And he's going to come in, he's going to work. And like the, the way, the, the whole process of getting him hired and the rollout and the existing coaches was a whole mess. And Georgetown really stepped on that in a bad way. But I would really, I thought Ewing did a very good job that first year. And that first year was sort of a lost year because he really had no players of his own. Like he had one or two draft picks. They filled up a bunch of like graduate transfers because right. a lot of guys had left after in the sort of confusion around what's going to happen to John Thompson. 
uh, it's a JT3, and, but they were competitive. And that was the real problem the last few years of John Thompson was people, two things, players did not get better over the course of time and they really weren't competing. And for most of the year, other than getting blown out by Villanova a couple of times, they really fought everyone. They lost some games because they were young and they didn't, they were missing pieces. Like they just didn't have like a knockdown three-point shooter right. or anything. But, but he did a really, I thought he did a really good job and it's going to take time. And I hope, and this is actually the good part I think about it being Ewing is that Georgetown will commit to him. He needs time. Georgetown's, he's not going to be someone, Georgetown is not going to be a one and done school. Right. Right. If we're a one and done team, it's because we've stumbled on someone who turned out to be great. Now, it's not available to us, but like Villanova is the model, right? It's right. a bunch of four year players who are really good and a couple of guys who were maybe bottom of the top 100 ESPN rankings or whatever, who then it turned out to be better than that. And maybe, you know, like uh, Dante DiVincenzo or Mikhail Bridges or, or you and you get a bunch of Jalen Brunson's and like you can build a team like that. This just takes time, right? You're not going to you need you need to get you need to hit on some right pit, right recruits and have them be there for three to four years to do that. So I think they can get back competitive into the into the big e- top of the big East again with Xavier and Villanova and whatever else. Um, and so I feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I feel I'm I'm encouraged. Like, I would agree, you know whoever you did talk to, I, I mean, I would agree with their assessment. Like Patrick, you know, he, he did everything you could possibly do to get a head coaching job in the NBA. Like for a, for a guy with his credentials as one of the, you know, whatever 50, 60 greatest players of all time to um, go be an assistant coach for 10, 15 years to work for multiple good coaches to uh, grind away on the sidelines, like working up the ladder, like not asking to, like just walk in and run a show. Um, you know, he did um he did just about everything you could have asked for in a guy in his spot. And I, I was happy that he got an opportunity um to to actually be a coach. And I, I I'm inc- I'm impressed by their recruiting so far. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I was just looking it up while you were talking to make sure. I mean, they got um they had one of the twenty five best recruiting classes in the country last year. They got this yeah. kid Matt McClung who like yeah. is a crazy dunker, which should be interesting. Yeah. Uh little white point guard. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I, I think if, I think if he gets time and you're right, I, I think he, it's a good situation that they are going to give him time. I, I do think that they're going to be able to build something there and, yeah. and have a chance to, um, to really, you know, kind of return Georgetown to where it should be, which is good. Now, yeah. one thing that comes up a lot with the Hoyas is playing so many games at the Verizon or I guess whatever it is, Capital One Arena now. Yeah. Um, do you, do you, I mean, maybe it's not feasible to do this, but do you think they should try to come back more to the Villanova model of having more games? on campus and less over there, or is that just too far gone at this point with where McDonough's I think it's at? too far gone only because McDonough is so small, the right. gym there. It's right. not, uh, like Villanova can play in the Palestra, which is sort of their version of this. Right. Uh, and there's, and so like variety, Capital One, whatever it's called today, too big by far. And right. even in the, in the sort of latter heyday of the Jeff Green, you know, sort of post final four years, right. the arena only fills up if it fills up, like under best case scenario, it's two thirds Georgetown fans, one third team that travels. And right. Or playing, it's like, or it's like Georgetown Syracuse or something. Yeah. Where... It's 50, 50 or Georgetown Notre Dame, which is maybe right. 60, 40 Notre Dame. Right. And it's, right. Just, it's just too big an arena and for a school of Georgetown size. Uh, but there, I don't know there's another option because there's not really space on campus to build a large enough, uh, sort of you know yeah i don't it's not i don't think it, 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 i can't i can't see the school invest in all the things in the limited georgetown's problem in addition to money is space and so right, i think it'd be right. hard to have a larger 
uh, arena on campus. And plus, they almost always lose <laughs> to a terrible team. <laughs> so I think it's best if we don't do that. We lost to Arkansas State a couple years ago. Yeah, that's a that's a that's another good reason. Yeah. Uh, all right. So before before I let you go, real quick, you said you um, you do watch League Pass. Yeah. Uh, you said you're going to watch Summer League. So yeah. when you are uh, out here watching games, who are the teams you try to key in on League Pass? And who are you looking forward to seeing next month in Vegas? So I I usually uh, – so I'll watch the Sixers and I'll watch the Warriors um, because right. the, Warriors, the Warriors team, which I get a lot of crap for, but because I live <laughs> here, but also because Steve Kerr has been on Pod Safe America yes. and he wears our T-shirts to his press conference sometimes. So if some other coach would like – I would be happy to, to become also <laughs> I just want to see players. Right. And so whatever happens in the, so in the, in summer league, I really want to see, uh, I guess Luka Doncic is not going to play summer league. Cause we're going to give him a break. He is I not, think I read correct. that. So that'd he be unfortunate. Cause, yeah. So I'd want to see him. I'd like to see uh, the Suns would be interesting to see in summer league. Um, the, you know, I'd like to see Marvin Bagley play. I'd like to see whether the, you know, the Kings team will be interesting. I usually just want to see the rookies play, right? So, like, last year it was I wanted to see De'Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchell, Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum, right? And Lonzo Ball, right? So that yep. that's just sort of the interesting thing of the players. Or if there's a second-year player who plays, uh, which could be, you know, will, which would be interesting. Like, I don't know, if, if De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley both play on the Kings team, that would be an interesting team to watch. Yeah, and I think they'll play a little bit, uh, you know, especially since they're hosting, yeah. hosting their own thing. I would imagine yeah. they're going to play some. Yeah, and if uh, you know, and if the uh, if Josh Jackson play, I imagine Josh Jackson will probably play in eight plays. I'm interested to see how that goes. So it's usually I just want to see the uh, the rookies, and I know it's always. I mean, I remember the John Wall Jeremy Lin debate in the summer years ago, whatever that was, like the when they went at each other. Like, right. you, it's it's not a great predictor of everything that's going to happen but it is fun when it happens I've, been, I've always wanted to go and i can't do it this year because of uh the new our new addition in our house right but but next year i think uh, i'm talking to my basketball fan friends and we're we may try to put down the calendar as a uh, as a weekend to head to vegas and check out something like in person it is it is incredible how many people just go to watch really terrible basketball in vegas it because it, it, the games are horrible and they're one after another and like i know like you said people are going to see uh these rookies play so like i yeah. get why they do it but it, it is amazing to just the tens of thousands of people yeah. that that pour through the arena day after day after day to watch it it's it's yeah. become an unbelievable event well i used to go in dc to the to you know once a weekend for you know months to the kenner league at georgetown sure. which is also generally terrible basketball <laughs> um, except right. the one except the one year that the nba was in lockout and you got a bunch of nba players coming through oh that uh, was that was a seeing, wild summer yeah you're basically seeing georgetown players you know who may be in the nba like monroe or jeff green and then now at this point just a bunch of guys from a bunch of guys who are still like uh, you know, sort of keeping their career going in the Goodman League or, right. you know, just Maryland and George Mason. And Maryland and George Mason had been that good in recent years. And so, right. but still, like you just, like you get to see for, you know, some front row and, and, you know, for free and check out some, you know, pretty good basketball players. And and I would go also just see the Georgetown freshman. Like that's what you want to see. Right? Of or, course. Got to Got to do some also, free scouting. <laughs> yeah. It's also, it's also going to be very deceptive because as it turns out, uh, the defenders in the Big East are better than uh, the freshmen, <laughs> the fresh the freshmen recruits at Mount St. Mary's or whatever it's you wouldn't you wouldn't say uh and then one final basketball question uh which where do you come down on the uh the Jordan and LeBron debate in case you're going to get in trouble with your boss again your old boss Uh, Jordan I think I think it is I've always been 100% sure it was Jordan I think LeBron now given the longevity of his career 
if he plays another five or six years at this level and can win a couple of rings, has a, can make it a real debate. But six for six in finals uh, is, I think, just impossible. Like, it is just always hard to explain to like younger people I know who didn't get to see Jordan, which is like he was always going to win and he right. knew it. And right. that is something right. LeBron is actually starting to other except when he's playing the Warriors. And you now like if it's now you're at a point in LeBron's career where it's like game seven and you're playing LeBron, even if it's like on the road in Boston, you're going to lose. Um, right. and, like he's getting to that level. Uh, so I think it is now it's now a conversation, but I think it's still it's still Jordan unless LeBron. Uh, it only, it's not even really LeBron's fault that he happens to be doing this at the time of the Warriors, right? It's like, right, do? right. Um, but you, but it's still like Jordan's six for six, and he also had to beat some pretty, he had to beat some super teams to do that too. And you know, LeBron's in the conversation, but if he can win a couple more rings and you know play at this level for another few years, then you know, I'm, I, I can be open to a debate about it. Yeah, no, he's he's been incredible, and I really felt like this this summer or this, this season, you know, especially as these playoffs went, uh, really was the first time um, where I, I kind of felt the same thing as you did, like you were talking about with, with Jordan. Not that anybody thought they were going to beat, uh, they were going to beat the Warriors, but like just he, he's become such a iconic figure at this point. And he's, he's still, he's stayed at this such ridiculous level for so long that you did kind of just feel like there was one way or the other, he was going to get by these very, you know, get by the Pacers in that game seven, he yeah. was going to get by the Celtics in game seven. Like he was just going to find a yeah. way to win. Cause he's just unbelievable at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, all right. So thanks. Thanks a lot for the time, man. Before you go, uh, I know you're, you're currently, uh, you know, going around promoting your book. So uh, let people know uh, what, what's the, uh, what's the deal with it and where they can yep. get it and why they should. Yeah, it is. It's called, yes, we still can politics in the age of Obama, Trump and Twitter. It is a book about, uh, how politics changed while I worked with Obama and how Obama dealt with the forces that led to a world where Trump could get elected. You can get it everywhere you get your books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, your independent bookstore. Uh, you get it on Audible where you will hear me read it. Uh, so if you are a podcast fan and you want to hear my voice even more, you can do it there. And it, it has one uh, basketball tie, which is uh, the cover is a picture of an illustration of Barack Obama dunking on Donald Trump. So it all ties <laughs> together with the concept of basketball. Um, so yes, we still can available wherever you buy your books. There you go. I, and congratulations. Awesome. Thank on, you so much. And congratulations on hitting the, uh, um, the presale uh, number yeah. to that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Very excited about that. So congrats, but thanks, thanks Thank again for the time and I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. Thanks again to Dan for doing the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, go check out all the Pod Save America stuff and go check them out on Twitter at Dan Pfeiffer. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA, on, in the pages of the Washington Post or on our website at washingtonpost.com slash sports. Please go give the podcast a five-star rating and review in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you can get it. Really helps us out. Uh, makes a big difference. So thank you in advance for doing it. Go find the music of Glenn Yoder in the Western States and buy that online people really enjoy the theme music for the podcast i've gotten that a bunch of times uh if you like it go support those guys and help them out also go check out the rest of our podcasts at the washington post at washingtonpost.com slash podcasts we have can he do that we've got a special series coming out with that we've got letters from war 
got constitutional and presidential, both series on the history of the presidency and the history of the Constitution uh, from Lily Cunningham, which are great. Uh, so definitely go find all that stuff and check it out. Thank you, as always, to you guys for listening. We'll be back again soon uh, with some free agency updates as things get crazy here over the next few days. But until then, thanks again, and we'll talk to you all soon.